Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Plant School Podcast. Today, as you can see, we are going to be talking about English ivies, which honestly, this is such an interesting plant. I'm so excited to dive in, but before I do, I do want to say I've been meaning to do a giveaway where I gift one of you a gift card basically so that you can have a free plant shopping trip on me. We're going to do this one of two ways. So one, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or two, you can answer a little trivia question that I will have going on on Spotify. So those are my two main listening platforms. So I wanted to cater to both of those. If you're listening somewhere else, you can quickly hop over to Spotify and answer the trivia question. And next week, I will announce which answer was the correct one and pick a giveaway winner from there, as well as from someone who has left a review on Apple Podcasts. So either one, you will have the chance to win a free plant shopping trip on me. And it's just a way to say thank you to my listeners because I really do appreciate you being here listening. And if you are interested in supporting Plant School and keeping it going, you can become a supporter of the podcast. There is a link in every show notes of the episode saying support this podcast. If you click on that link, it'll have a little pop-up that will let you donate $1, $5, or $10 monthly to the podcast to help it run. You can stop it at any time, of course, but it greatly helps this podcast. I appreciate all my supporters because it really does mean a lot to me. Other ways to support the podcast include buying merch, which again, the link to that is in the description of each episode, or by sharing it with friends and listening. So you being here is a great support and I do appreciate you being here. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into English ivy. We are going to cover the history of it, where it came from, what its symbolism is, and then the second half of the episode, I will cover how to exactly care for an English ivy inside your home. So I always love to start with the question of what is this plant? So in this case, what is English ivy? It is a woody climbing vine with the lobed leaves, usually three to five lobes within its leaf, just depending on the variety. And it does have juvenile and mature leaves. The mature leaves have less distinct lobes, if any at all. But most of the time, the ones that you are growing in your home as a houseplant are just the juvenile version. They don't often get to the mature version simply because the requirements for that aren't met inside of a home. Some common names for English ivy include, of course, English ivy, but also common ivy, European ivy, or simply just ivy. Its scientific name is Heterohelix, and the genus name Hetera is derived from the Latin word for ivy, while helix refers to the plant's twining or spiraling growth habit, similar to like a DNA helix. 
and English ivy does come from the ginseng or the Araliaceae family. Also, before I go any further, I do want to give a quick shout out because this whole episode was inspired by someone who reached out on Instagram and I just wanted to say a quick thank you for one, being willing to reach out to me and give a suggestion for an episode, but two, for giving me a lot of info about English Ivy to go along with your request. So, you know who you are. Thank you so much for reaching out. All right, jumping back in, English Ivy does come in a lot of colors, from really dark green to lighter greens to having different sort of variegations. One color that not a whole lot of people know about is that it comes in a yellowish golden color too. And with that, they also have a lot of different variations in their leaf shapes, so not all of them look exactly the same. And like I mentioned before, they do flower. They have these spherical clusters or groups of flowers that are followed by black berries, and birds really enjoy eating them. Humans, not so much because they can be quite toxic to our digestive system, but birds will eat them and then disperse them as they fly about, and that's kind of how they can move around so quickly. These plants can reproduce sexually by seeds or vegetatively by runners. They can kind of spread and create new plants. If a piece is cut off and taken somewhere else, that piece can start growing vegetatively from there. And like I mentioned before, the juvenile form of English ivy is what we have as a houseplant because the mature form has leaves that don't have these distinct lobes and it's not quite as pretty and they have these really thick woody stems. So it's harder to have that in our homes and with its main purpose just being to reproduce, it does need full sun and that doesn't happen in our homes. So that is why we use the juvenile form as a houseplant. Moving on to what they symbolize, English ivy has been associated with various symbolic meanings throughout history. Going all the way back to ancient Rome, it was considered a symbol of fidelity and was often used in wedding ceremonies. Today, it can mean affection, dependence, endurance, fidelity, like it was in ancient Rome, friendship, happiness, love, marriage, matrimony, and wedded love. Those last ones kind of all revolved around marriage. But if you take a sprig of it, it's associated with the meaning longings. And if you simply take a sprig of tendrils, that can mean affection, anxious to please, or assiduous to please. It also has a few possible powers that it holds, so it is known to hold the possible power of healing and protection, and it was once carried by women to bring them luck, and it's often used as a symbol of eternal life, even today, to both pagans and Christians, and if you do blend it with holly or ilex aquifolium, at Christmas time, it is thought to bring peace specifically to a husband and wife in their home. And lastly, if you strew English ivy about an area, it is thought to protect it from disasters and negative energies. So a lot of symbolism to this plant. Honestly, it has a lot more than most houseplants typically do when I cover them. This one is really rich in symbolism and you'll see why when we get to its history. Before I get to its history, I want to talk about where they originate. They are native to Europe, Western Asia, Northern Africa. 
we are covering three continents right there. And they can grow in almost any habitat. They are very versatile. The only exception is that they do not like wetlands and swamps because it is constantly wet and English ivy does not do well in constantly wet environments. They prefer to grow in woodlands where they can climb trees and they have been known to actually topple down trees with just the sheer weight of all of its vines and they can grow up to about 100 feet tall, so pretty massive. And moving on to their history, which I said was very rich, their history is honestly so deep that it is unclear of who first discovered it. There's no record of who found it and started to spread it around. It was kind of just a well-known plant, even going back to the time of ancient Greeks and Romans, and it's thought to have been introduced to them by human transportation and cultivation. And English ivy quickly became a sacred symbol to them for their god Dionysus, which in Rome was known as Bacchus. Even pagan druids would sing about English ivy in their Christmas carol, The Holly and the Ivy, that's the title of it. And in this song, the plant English ivy represents female divinity. Jumping in history, it was named by a Swedish botanist who you may know, most people know who this man is, maybe one of the most famous botanists around, Carl Linnaeus, literally the man himself who created the binomial nomenclature of how to name a plant. And so he named this plant Heterohelix in 1753, and it's originally found in his work that he wrote, Species Plantarum. It was first brought to America by colonial settlers as early as 1727 and was brought for ornamental purposes. It wasn't like it was a super important crop. It didn't provide something very beneficial for them in medicine or anything like that. It was simply for ornamental purposes. It looked nice. People liked it. And it was first documented to be in the U.S. in Virginia around 1800. So it's thought that it was brought in around 1727, but the only record we have of it is in Virginia around 1800. And interestingly, it didn't make it to Hawaii until the early 1900s. So it kind of took its time in spreading around by people, but eventually I feel like it's made it most everywhere because it is such a popular not only houseplant, but more so ornamental plant to have outside. To this day, it is still recommended as an ornamental ground cover across the world, across the United States, even though many resources go towards its removal in some areas. It can be a really noxious weed. For example, the sale and the import of English ivy is banned completely in Oregon because it is super invasive and it's becoming a real problem, specifically along that specific northwest region of the United States. It's also threatening areas along the Virginia coastal mountain and Piedmont regions. So if you see English ivy in Virginia, you can actually call it in to the Virginia Invasive Species Working Group, and they will come and remove it or give you help on how to remove it. So the reason why they're an environmental threat and places like the Pacific Northwest and Virginia don't want them is mostly due to their climbing nature. They can choke out native trees just simply by blocking the sun. 
but also introducing fungal rots along their trunks because they are climbing up their trunks along that bark and kind of keeping moisture there, which can introduce rot and kill the trees. So English ivy is not as great as it might seem for some areas. And also, on another note, but kind of following this line of how destructive they can be, it may seem like a romantic idea to have ivy covering a cottage or your home, but those aerial roots that are grabbing on to anchor itself and keep climbing, they can actually force themselves onto surfaces and when they do that, they exude a glue-like substance to help them in adhering. It's not just the roots, but it's also this substance that they're exuding and it lignifies, meaning it becomes woody. It's messy and like when, it, when you peel it off, it definitely leaves a kind of woody residue. So they can creep up homes into dry stacked stone. They can weaken mortar. They can push through up and under boards, and they can be really destructive to homes. In fact, I remember going to look at this older home in the area I live in with my sister-in-law. Anyways, we were upstairs, and this home had had English ivy, you could tell, but it had been removed, and there were still pieces of it that had worked its way through a window, and it was just like the woody stem that was still there. You could tell that they had tried to remove it but couldn't quite get it out, but it had like completely ruined this window. I'm sure you would have had to replace it. We were looking at it just for fun. It was for sale, but that was like a big thing I remember looking at and being like, oh, that would be such a pain to have to remove it. But before that, I always thought it had looked so beautiful and so cute on homes but it can cause a lot of damage if it's not managed correctly. And it's interesting because despite all of this and their destructive nature to homes, they are frequently planted in Europe specifically to cover walls. In fact, the Bavarian government even recommends growing English ivy on buildings because having it on your home comes with the ability to cool off the building in the summertime and it also, in the wintertime, provides extra insulation and can protect from heavy weather. It's just interesting to see how in some parts of the world, it's really not recommended to grow it at all or to keep it by your homes, but in other parts, it is something that a lot of people use for different benefits. Moving on, though, with its history... I know I kind of dived into how it can be a problem in some areas. I also want to take a moment to dive in and focus on its medicinal history in particular. So jumping way back into the 1500s, and this was before it had been named by Carl Linnaeus and before it had been brought to America, a British herbalist in 1597 by the name of John Gerard recommended water infused with English ivy to be used for sore or watering eyes. I don't believe this is a common use for it now anymore, but back in almost the 1600s, that's what it was used for. Today, it is known to be used as an expectorant. That means it helps you have an effective cough. It's also known to be a spasmolytic meaning it relieves your muscles and kind of soothes spasms. 
and also secretolytic, meaning it helps break up secretions like phlegm. So when people talk about using English ivy medicinally, it's often referring to their dried leaves being used and woody extracts. Those are the most common parts that are being used. So extracts of the dried leaves are known to help with coughs and spastic bronchitis. A common way to take advantage of these properties is to make English ivy tea, where you can steep the leaves with boiling water. And also, ivy extract is also a fairly common ingredient in modern cough medicines. In fact, I think I have one. It's like a homeopathic cough medicine meant for little kids. It's a little more natural and recommended for really tiny kids. And IV extract is one of the things that it has on the cover of the box. So it's something that has been extensively tested and still used today. On the other hand, the woody extracts are mostly used in lotions and in creams. It's mostly used as an emollient, meaning it makes your skin kind of soft and supple and also for itching relief. And I looked it up, English Ivy Lotion is actually pretty common. I mostly found them sold in like artisan shops online and on Etsy when I just did a quick Google search for English Ivy Lotion. But there have actually been several double-blind placebo-controlled studies, which are kind of like the top tier of scientific studies, and they have shown that English ivy has efficacy in treating chronic obstructive bronchitis, so really bad cold, and it has few or no side effects at a proper dosage, of course. And this makes sense since it is a common ingredient in cough medicines today. There are some studies for its antifungal properties, and they're really promising, showing that it could possibly treat fungal diseases. And I mentioned before that there are tea recipes that you can use with English ivy. I would just say if you want to try those, please take caution. Be careful. As with anything that's medicine related, you want to take caution that you aren't putting something into your body that could be harmful. And lastly, in English ivy's history, I know we talked about a lot of stuff, but it is on the list to be one of the best air purifying plants out there getting rid of 78% of airborne mold and around 50% of airborne fecal matter. I have questions about those results. Is it common to have fecal matter floating around in a home? Honestly, I have no idea, but I am concerned if that is a common thing. Anyways, as you may know, I have kind of dug into these studies because one of the ones that talked about English ivy being a great plant was NASA. And I've dug into these studies and looked at different ones, and more testing does need to be done, but it's not likely that indoor houseplants can make a huge difference in your air quality because we live in homes that are not enclosed. We have doors and windows that are constantly changing out the air. We have AC units or heating units that are moving the air around and our plants can't keep up unless you had a massive amount and that in and of itself would cause problems with mold and things like that. So I wanted to include that English ivy is known to be a great air purifying plant but will it actually make a difference in your home? Probably not. Anyways, we're going to take a quick pause there because we have covered a lot 
And when I come back, I want to go into how to care for your English ivy plant in your home. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm back, and to start, this plant is actually relatively easy to care for. I just want to put that out there. It's a super common houseplant to have, and for good reason, because it's a pretty easy one. So to start, how to water English ivy. So like a lot of other plants, they should be watered when the soil dries out, the top one to two inches, though they can survive long periods of time without water. It's obviously not ideal for them, and a consistent watering when the top few inches of soil feels dry is best for this plant. They do prefer kind of a moderate humidity, but they will tolerate normal home levels really well and overwatering will quickly lead to root rot for these plants they don't grow well in wet soil i talked about earlier how the one place they can't grow is in wetlands and swamps so that transfers to how to care for it in your home you don't want it sitting in really wet soil underwatering on the other hand can cause the plant to be stressed and more susceptible to insect infestations or diseases so it's something to be aware of to keep on top of watering to avoid unnecessary stress on your ivy. Moving on to lighting needs and where to place English ivy in your home. So bright indirect sunlight is best. That's pretty common of most houseplants. And if your English ivy does have variegation, it can't tolerate lower light levels as well as an English ivy that had no variegation at all. If you do happen to put your variegated one in a lower light level, it's going to revert back into its non-variegated form simply to take advantage of all the surface area on its leaf to be photosynthesizing because those white variegated spots on the leaf usually aren't great at photosynthesizing and that's why it will revert back just to take advantage of all the surface area and soak in more sun. And unlike most houseplants, which love warm, tropical, humid environments, English ivy does best in cooler temperatures. So in a range from like 35 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit, so fairly cool, or 2 to 16 degrees Celsius, that is its ideal temperature. If it gets too warm, it's prone to get these really long, spindly, leggy vines. If this happens, you can just trim off that leggy growth and move it to a cooler spot so that it can stay bushier, healthier, and it's not stringing itself out because it's too hot. An environment that is too warm or dry can also lead to brown leaf tips and edges, 
and may need to be moved for that reason as well. Moving on to fertilizing, it should be done monthly in spring and summer or basically when it's going through a large growing period. That's its ideal time. They're often given high nitrogen fertilizer in the nurseries to kind of promote lush growth that's really great for ground cover. And though this may look better, the English ivy vines can get weak and tear easily. So it is common practice to use a fertilizer that's lower in nitrogen and higher in the other two macronutrients of phosphorus and potassium. So if you get a fertilizer like a 5-10-10 or a 10-20-20, that is what is going to work best. Because as we know, those three numbers are NPK, nitrogen being the first, so you want that one to be lower compared to the phosphorus and potassium levels in the fertilizer. If you're wondering how to repot one and what kind of soil it likes best, they actually prefer slightly acidic soil, but they can do well without it. And you want to repot them when roots have filled the pot or it's drying out incredibly quickly or when it's getting top heavy. And this is best done in spring so that it can bounce back better and have new growth coming in right after. And you want to put it in a pot that's only one to two inches bigger than the previous one. If you go way too big, you're going to have a lot of sitting wet soil that can really harm your English ivy. Because again, it does not love sitting wet soil. Moving on to how to prune English ivy. They're kind of fun when it comes to pruning. They can be pruned to almost any size or any shape. They do really great with trellises. Trellises are actually really recommended for English ivy. And they can also be trained as topiaries where you can form them into a shape along some sort of moss ball or a different shaped topiary. So you can just prune the vines. They will grow back in eventually. It kind of helps them maintain a bushier growth, which is great. However, you don't want to remove more than 30% of the plant at a time because that can cause a lot of stress to it. And if you are someone who is sensitive to the sap, because some people can get dermatitis when they touch the sap, Consider wearing gloves when pruning. That's not something everyone deals with, just those who maybe are a little more sensitive. If you notice a rash forming or irritation forming, you could be allergic to the sap of English ivy. All right, and moving on to how to propagate English ivy. And this was actually a really fun subject. They had a lot of different ways that you can propagate this plant. Starting off, you can use cuttings. So you take the end of a vine and cut it at a 45 degree angle, it's recommended to use a rooting hormone powder. And if you have a cutting that already has adventitious roots on it, that's great. You can even take cuttings from like an outdoor English ivy to propagate it and bring it inside to have as a house plant. So you can simply place it in water or you can put it in moist soil, just whatever your personal preference is and place it in an area with bright and direct light. English ivy does take a little bit of time to propagate, so it does usually take about one month to get new leaves starting to form. So you do have to be patient with this one. Another method, which I don't know how doable this is, but I thought it was cool and I wanted to mention it, that sometimes English ivy is grafted onto a paper plant. Its scientific name is Fatsia japonica, and so that's the rootstock, 
And English ivy is serving as the scion or the top of that grafted plant. And this is done because you get these really fun ivy leaves and the root system is one that will not spread where you don't want it to. So it can be grown both outdoors and indoors. When I did look them up, they're not too expensive. It's just kind of fun to have a grafted plant. It's not super common in the houseplant world to have them grafted like that. Another method of propagation is by seed. And as a note, some hybrids don't really replicate well from seed, meaning that they won't look exactly like the parent plant. To do this from seed, they need several months of cold stratification, so you'd put them in moist sand and place them in your fridge. Back of your fridge is the perfect spot for them, and you just want to keep the sand moist. After about two months of having them in your fridge, you soak them overnight in water and place it on top of a soilless medium and keep that moist. You should see sprouts through this method in about eight weeks after placing it on the soilless medium. And then you can transplant them into soil when they have about two to three leaves each. Kind of a long process, and you're kind of mimicking a winter time that it would go through, but really cool that you can easily do this in your own home. Last method that I want to mention for propagation is layering. Not air layering, where you have a ball of soil wrapped around a plant, but you actually layer it down into the ground. So you get a vine and you place a section of it, like a midsection of it, on top of a new pot of soil, about a quarter inch deep into the soil. And you may need to remove some leaves or hold that section of stem down into the soil with a stake or with a rock. And then you want to keep the soil moist, not wet. And once it's ready with roots, you can kind of tug on it and feel that it's growing roots. It's going to, again, take quite a few weeks, maybe a month, to have those roots come in. Then you want to snip off the end that is still attached to the parent plant, and there you have a rooted piece of English ivy. This is one that can be really easily done with an outdoor English ivy plant. You could simply bring out a pot of soil, set it next to an, an ivy plant and do that. But again, you can do it with an indoor plant as well. Moving on to the question of, are they prone to any pests? Yes, they are. They're prone to many of the common houseplant pests that you hear about, such as mealybug and thrips and aphids. But the number one pest for English ivy is spider mites. They especially are known to attack when it is very dry and hot, which English ivy honestly doesn't like. So if you keep it in a cool place and keep the soil watered, and not super dry, you can usually avoid spider mites. If you are dealing with them, though, you do want to use various forms of insecticides and removal methods because spider mites reproduce so fast and can build up immunity so quickly. I would use something like neem oil, then try rubbing alcohol and other methods such as that. I have two questions left. The first one being any just extra care tips that I haven't mentioned. First one, I mentioned this, that the, the sap is slightly poisonous. It can cause allergic reactions. If you ingest it, it can cause shortness of breath. But most, if not all, ivy plants are toxic to pets as well. It's known to irritate 
a pet skin with direct contact. So just be sure if you do have pets to place it in a spot where they can't reach it or use some other method to keep them away from your English ivy. Another tip, if you are wanting to make your English ivy pot more full looking, you can trail some of the vine along the soil and kind of like the whole layering method, adventitious roots will start to form and you can let those roots develop and give you a more nice full look. My last little extra tip is to make sure you wash the ivy with a soft cloth or you can just rinse it off in the shower with room temperature water to keep the leaves clean and dust free and able to photosynthesize because they can gather quite a bit of dust. All right, last question. How long does an English ivy plant live? To start off, the word ivy means eternity, and since it is an evergreen plant, that's kind of where it gets that name from. Some plants of English ivy have been documented to be over 400 years old, which is crazy. This is a very resilient plant, especially outdoors. I don't know if you could get one to survive 400 years in your home. That'd be amazing. But outdoors especially, they can be very resilient, and hopefully... By following this care guide, you will be able to give your English ivy plant a really long life. Thank you again for listening to the Plant School Podcast. I hope that you will join me in two weeks for a brand new episode.